Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 17. I remember growing up in church and Every once in a while on a Sunday night, there uh, wouldn't be any preaching. We would come into the service, and, uh, and everybody know, knew that it was going to be a special night. We would have what we would call a hymn sing. How many of you, grown up in the church, you've been to church, been a part of the church for a long time, you remember the Sunday night hymn sings? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Like four of you in here. This is going to be awesome. Okay. But we would have a hymn sing, and so everybody would come in, and you would grab the hymnal, the book, in the back of the pew in front of you. We didn't have the screens and stuff on the, on the wall. Sometimes we had an overhead projector, and somebody would have to, to pull the transparency out and put it on the overhead projector, and sometimes they'd get it backwards. How many of you remember that? Any of you? Okay, so some of you do. Um, but we'd have that hymn sing, and so on the hymn sing, you would grab the book, and um, it would basically be... People would give their requests, and so somebody from the audience would raise their hand, or the congregation, I don't know, I don't know if we're supposed to call you the audience, the congregation, right, would raise their hand, and they would say, I want hymn number 234, and so we'd flip to 234, the piano player would start playing, and we would sing the hymns, and all service, we would be singing hymns, and and. During the hymn sing, you would always sing verses one, two, and four, never three. How many of you know that's true, right? You would never sing the third verse. I don't know why we never sang the third verse. I always felt bad for the third verse. I just think that we had decided as Christians that we were never, ever going to sing the third verse of a hymn, ever, ever. So it was nice to see Pastor Dan singing the third verse of the hymn, right? Breaking the trends, right? We're forward thinking. We're doing crazy things singing the third verse of hymns here. Now, I love the music that we have today, don't you? The worship that we have today, some of the new songs that are coming out are powerful. I love coming home on Sunday afternoon and hearing my kids singing just worship songs, and they're not even like, singing them on purpose. They're just in their heart and in their head, so they're singing it. I was um, with Abram this last week and on a field trip to Lincoln, and we were sitting there in the bus together, and you know, I'm not super old, but I'm too old to be spending all that time in a bus. That's ridiculous. And so I'm sitting there in the bus next to Abram, and he was reading, and I was reading and stuff, and I, and I hear him just singing under his breath, our God's not dead, he's surely alive. And uh, you know, I just look over at him and smile. And then we were talking about, did you hear me singing that? He, I said, yeah, I heard you. He said, I didn't mean to, I wasn't singing that on purpose. You know, it was just in his heart. And I love it because those, those songs matter. We are a singing faith, amen? Singing has always been a part of who we are. That, that singing worship songs and those hymns to God, And so I love the way the Holy Spirit will speak to a church in and through the worship and the songs that we have today. But there's so much truth and there's so much anointing and there's so much power packed into many of these old hymns as well. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And I think it's been cool to see the trend in many of our ter- churches lately in many of our worship services and we're, we're beginning to see a resurgence in some of these old hymns and, and we're, we're recapturing some of the power and, and, and some of the message of the words in these old hymns and, and sure they're, they're repackaging it a little bit and the tune is changing just a little bit and they're adding a little bit more fullness in the music and that's okay but the words are still there and the words are powerful. So over the next few weeks, we're going to close each one of our services by telling a story behind or a story surrounding some of these hymns that the church has been singing for decades. And, and after a while, as we close, the worship team's going to come back up and we're going to sing Tis So Sweet again. And uh, we're going to tell that story. And, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I know that it's been a blessing to me to, to kind of unpack some of the messages behind these things. And I hope it will be to you as well. So that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. So this is the last week of school for many. 
That means that most of our high schoolers are going to be looking for summer jobs. One of my summer jobs in high school was working for a local construction company there in Broken Bow, and I wasn't very good at all. I wasn't good at all. I had two main jobs that summer working in the construction company there, two jobs. The first job was to whoever it was that chose me that day, I was to stay in his hip pocket. That was my job, right? Johnson, stay in my hip pocket. Everywhere I go, you go. And so I was there with a whole thing of tools and everything that they would ask me to give them, I would give them. My other job was to run to the trailer and get tools that had been left in the trailer. So if we were on a roof, if we were somewhere else, I always had to run to the trailer, stay in my hip pocket and run to the trailer. Anytime they would tell me to run to the trailer, they would say, and do that on a dog trot. How many of you know what a dog trot is? Two of you. I didn't know what a dog trot was. Do that on a dog trot. And so I'm like, okay, I don't know. And so I'm walking to the trailer. Johnson, I said on a dog trot. I don't know what that means. Somebody help me. It must have meant run. Okay, just say run, man. It's a lot easier. I hated when they would say that. They would always say that to me. Do it on a dog trot. I hated it. So one day in that summer, we were replacing shingles on a house, and it was later in the afternoon. And, and what they had decided to do that day, they had a tractor with a um, uh, a platform on the front that they could extend. And, and so because it was a big house, we would go down and, and I was packing bundles of shingles on the platform and then somebody would drive that tractor up to the roof and they'd raise it up and they'd, you know, they would extend it. They wouldn't put it on the roof, but they would extend it right there at the roof so I could climb up the ladder and take the bundles off of the platform and put them on, you know, that just, the, just the grunt work kind of thing. And it was later in the afternoon and a couple of the guys had left, and the guy who had been running the tractor all day had left. And so it was just me and a couple of other guys, and the boss was there too. And, and he told me, he said, Johnson, get down there and load six more bundles on that platform and drive that tractor over here and extend it and put it on the, on the roof. And, um, and uh, I, I told my, my boss, Scott, I said, Scott, I don't... I don't think I can do that. He said, yeah, just take it really easy, nice and gentle, extend it, and just gently, you want to drop it down. You don't want to touch the roof, just barely kiss it, right? Just real gentle, just a peck, just kiss it right there on the roof. And, uh, and so I go get on the tractor, and uh, I, I'm, I start the tractor up, and I, and I immediately, I shut the tractor back off, and I walk, I walk off, and I said, man, I am not doing this. And he's up on the roof, and he's yelling at me. He says, don't you make me come down off of this roof, right? I'm not climbing down that ladder. I said, I am not doing this. I have no ability to kiss the roof with the tractor. I do have an ability to crash the tractor into the house, but I cannot kiss, and he's mad, and he's yelling at me, and he comes down, and he drives that tractor, and he puts it up there, get up there and get those bundles off. And as we're climbing up the ladder again together, he said, Chris, that was probably the smartest thing you've ever done all summer. And I was like, thank you. Thank you. I held my ground. I had zero trust in my own ability to kiss the roof with the tractor platform. Zero trust. And I think that too many times in life and in too many situations, we trust ourselves way more than we ought to. We grow up hearing well-intentioned adults, and I've, I've said the same, believe in yourself, trust in yourself. And in many times and in many places, that is the worst thing that we can do, is trust in ourselves or believe in ourselves. Because the reality is, you don't always have the answer. You don't always have the power. You don't always have the ability, and neither do I. The reality is, we aren't always trustworthy, even when it comes to ourselves. Jeremiah chapter 17, Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, he's given a warning to the people of God in Judah. And this is ongoing, there's spiritual issues, and this is about to lead to uh, national consequences. And so in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 1, Jeremiah says this, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with a point of diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altar. 
Now you think of that imagery that Jeremiah is using here. The sin of the people of Judah is written with a pen of iron and a point of diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart. For the people of God, it should have been God's holy law that is engraved on their heart. It should have been God's word and God's law and God's precepts that had been written on their heart, but instead their sin had been engraved there and it had been etched with a pen of iron with a point of a diamond. It's firm. Their sin, Jeremiah is saying, ran so deep. It was engraved. It's not just something that can be wiped away or, or, or written over. It has been etched. It has been engraved. It is deep. It has formed their national identity. It's who they are. Verse 2 says, while their children remember their altars and their ashram beside every green tree and on the high hills, on the mountains, in the open country, your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil as the price of your high places for sin throughout all your territory. What he's saying is your children, their earliest memories of spiritual things include idols, high places dedicated to the worship of pagan demon gods, the ashram. Your children's earliest spiritual memories include idols. So this isn't good. And now your blessings are going to be removed. They're going to dry up and, and be removed. Think about, think about for those of you who, you know, the, these hymns, you, you think about singing hymns and going back and, and, and this is what you grew up on. And, and think about your earliest childhood memories of like God and spiritual things in church. Think about that, man. I, I think about every single Sunday and Wednesday and Sunday night, we were at church. My earliest, one of my earliest memories of church is at our church there in Bridgeport. We had, um, uh, they were, it was like the platform here that walked into the sanctuary, and then on both sides there was a ramp that led down to a door over here and a door over here. And you could probably get up that ramp in like two or three steps, but for me as a kid, that ramp felt like a mountain, right? So my earliest childhood memories were getting in trouble for rolling down that ramp, right? Because we'd always roll down that ramp, and my parents were like, Chris, get up here, you're going to knock somebody over. Like, this is a perfect, like, ramp playground for us to roll down. And so, but that was my earliest memory. And then there was a big Jesus picture hanging in the back. You remember that, Grandpa? There's a great big Jesus picture, and it was the first thing you could see as you were walking out the church. And it was written, it was made with um, the entire New Testament. And so the entire New Testament was written out, and these words made up this great big Jesus picture. And those are some of my earliest memories of church and, and being in there. And so just remembering who Jesus is. But Jeremiah is saying for, for your children, Judah, their earliest memories are of demons. And this isn't good. Verse 4. He says, you shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave to you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know, for in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. Jeremiah was actually warning of the judgment and the exile that was about to take place that we talked about several weeks ago in the book of Daniel. Remember in Daniel, we talked about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and Judah being overwhelmed and overcome, and those being exiled. This is the warning that Jeremiah is pointing to. He's saying that's going to happen. He says, Judgment and exile is coming on the people of God, and it all centers on one central issue. Judgment's coming because of this one issue trust. Trust. The issue is trust. Consider some of the areas in which you've placed your trust this morning. You came to church this morning. You were here early because you trusted that we were going to have service. How many of you called this morning to see if we were going to have service? Right? One. Right? Most of you came because you trusted that 
we were going to be here and we were going to have service. You put your trust in the person who drove the car that you rode in this morning, right? Not every one of you drove. Some of you were passengers and you put your trust in the person who drove, right? You got a 15-year-old in the car and they're learning to drive. That trust wasn't as secure, but you were still placing your trust in the person who drove. You were trusting them to get you here safe. You guys know what I'm talking about. You put your trust in the other drivers this morning, right? You trusted the fact that they would follow the traffic laws and you trusted the fact that they would stay in their lanes. You sit in this room right here because you trust the foundation and the structural integrity of this building, right? Have you ever been around a building or walked up to a building that there was no way you would walk into because you didn't trust it? If you look up above you, there's a lot of heavy things that are hanging over your head, right? You trust that those things are going to stay in place, right? It's trust. In fact, all of these areas, you put so much trust in them that it didn't even cross your mind that you were exercising trust this morning, did it? You were just going about your day and all these things you trust because they have always been Trustworthy for the most part. In this passage, Jeremiah is saying, look, Judah, judgment is coming because the people of God refuse to trust in the Lord their God. You refuse to trust in God. That is one of the most absurd statements that anybody could say. I don't trust God. It's so silly and backwards that when we begin to act like we don't trust God, it just, it just makes absolutely no sense. What would you say if there was somebody standing out in the foyer and they wouldn't come in because they don't trust the structural integrity of the sanctuary? You say, man, what, what's, just come on in. Like, it's not going to fall. Nothing is going to come down and smash you, I promise you. I just don't trust it. I don't know if it can, I don't know if this is trustworthy. How silly and how crazy and how ridiculous would that person look? Can we agree that, that you would think that there are mental issues and that person needs help, right? Like you know that God is more trustworthy than the beams and the walls and the pillars in this building. You know that, right? And so the reason why Judah was on the verge of judgment was because they didn't trust God. As a dad, sometimes with my five kids, I have a long fuse and sometimes I'm patient and sometimes I am just the picture of a perfect father. Sometimes I have a short fuse. Sometimes I get mad at my kids for silly and stupid things and sometimes I overreact to their behavior. But there's one thing that I've noticed that I never, ever have patience with, ever. There's one area that I always have a short fuse. I always get angry, I always get irritated, I even get offended at my kids when they don't trust me. It makes me mad every single time when they don't trust me. You think of those areas, you think of those times in your life where your kids didn't trust you. And they're probably silly things, right? Probably you've been at that point where your kid was on the diving board and they're scared to jump into the deep end. And you're in the deep end and you're treading water right underneath them, right? This is a, this is a very typical story that almost every parent has, has gone through. You're treading water, you're like, jump, I'm right here. Will you catch me? Right? Well, I'm not going to catch you, but you're not going to drown. I'm right here. Come on, jump. I don't think I can do this. Yes, do it, right? And you're having this argument, and the argument is whether or not you, as a parent, are trustworthy, right? I don't think I can do this anymore. Just do it. And then you start getting mad. There's people waiting. Jump. I don't want to jump. Stop crying. This is fun, right? Just jump. I don't think I can. I will not let you drown. I promise you. Do you think I'm going to let you drown? No, I don't think you're going to let me drown. Then jump. I don't want to jump. You know? It's a trust issue. 
Look, boy, if you don't jump, I'm going to let those monsters that live in your closet get you tonight. Trust me, right? Stop being scared. Teaching your kids to ride their bike. It's more a lesson in trust than it is in balance. How many of you parents know what I'm talking about? Don't let go. Don't let go. Did you let go? Oh, you let go. You know, it's, it's all don't let go. Don't let go. Don't let go. They don't even, they're not even thinking about the balance. All they're thinking about is don't let go. Don't let me fall. Don't let me fall. Hold on to my hands. It's a lesson in trust. My kids love to do trust falls off the kitchen counter. Why are they on the counter, you ask? I don't know, Melissa lets them get up there, it's crazy. <laughs> but there's a rule when they climb up on the counter to do the trust falls, there's a rule that if you hesitate on the counter, trust fall, I'm done. I'm not playing that game anymore. If you stand up there and you second guess it, I'm, I'm, I'm just not playing. I'm not gonna stand there with my five-year-old and debate whether or not I am trustworthy. They just have to know I'm trustworthy. And so if you stand up there and you second guess my ability, I'm gonna grab you, I'm gonna pull you off, and I'm gonna put you down and say, we're done. We're not doing the trust fault anymore. I'm not gonna argue with you whether or not I have the ability to catch you. I don't know, but I wonder if Maybe God ever gets tired of debating whether or not we can trust him. You think? Well, God, I don't know if I can trust you in this situation. I don't know, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if you're gonna be there for me. What if I fall and you don't notice? What if I fall and you don't see it? And do you suppose that God ever gets tired of defending his trustworthiness? Verse five. Says this, thus says the Lord, listen to this. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. When you place your trust in yourself, in armies, in wealth, in intelligence, in your government, when you place your trust in any of those things over God, scripture says you are cursed. You're cursed. Verse six, he is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Nothing that man can do can supply you, sustain you, or secure you. And when you trust in the created over the creator, your supply dries up. Your endurance wears out and your security fades away when you trust in man. However, anytime scripture gives a warning of potential judgment, there's always a flip side. There's always a following promise that comes after. Verse seven says this, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. And if you're a highlighter, if you're a writer in your Bible, circle that, highlight that, star that, mark that, make that a part of your life verse. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Blessed is the man who trusts in God. There's a few things that I want to say this morning. The first is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. You can trust in Jesus, your source. You can trust in Jesus, your source. Scripture that we just read said, he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. The tree is not the source. You are not the source, amen? The water is the source. Jesus is your source, and the source is pure, life-giving, uncontaminated. The source is good, and the source can be trusted. 
You always have to go back to the source. I remember in junior high, we were traveling to a town to play basketball, and it wasn't where we lived, but it was a town some ways away. And for whatever reason, there was a couple of years that the water source in this town had been contaminated and it wasn't safe. And so anytime we would have to go play this team at their place and in their gym and in their city, we had to bring our own water in giant coolers. And so it was just a weird feeling. So the back of the bus was filled with gigantic water coolers. And on the way home, the bus stunk. I mean, the bus reeked because nobody was allowed to shower or rinse off or wash up because the water source in the town was no good. It was a weird, strange feeling. I remember as a kid just feeling gross being in the gym because they had told us that the water was no good. You know, it was like, oh man, I don't know. It just, it was a weird feeling being in that place where the water was contaminated. Many of you are aware of the water contamination issues that have plagued the city of Flint, Michigan. You've been reading about that, right? You, you know what's going on with that. People getting sick. The water is dangerous. It's no good. It's been contaminated. It, it's just, it's bad, and it's causing a lot of problems and a lot of issues. In this life, in, in this spiritual journey that we're on, many of you have already committed your life to Jesus. You're already following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Others of you are searching. You're trying to figure out what kind of choices to make. You're, you're trying to figure out who God is and, and where Jesus fits in into all of that and, and, and what that means for you. And you're trying to answer some of those questions. And really what you're doing is you're trying to identify a source. You're trying to figure out, is the source reliable? In, in this spiritual journey, you have to identify your source. What is your source? What are you relying on to supply your spiritual needs? What are you relying on to quench your spiritual thirst? What, what are those things that you are looking to to grow you into a mature, godly person? What's your source? I want to say again what I said before. You are not a trustworthy source. You can't rely on your own thoughts about life. You can't rely on your own uh, vision in the way you see things. You are not a trustworthy source. You have been contaminated. I, as the pastor of North Shore, am not a trustworthy source. You can't rely on me, right? You can't come to me to meet all of your spiritual needs. You can't come to me to speak to every spiritual issue that you have. I cannot grow you spiritually. If you come to me and if you rely on me, you will produce no godly fruit in your life, none. You may be able to imitate some godly things. You may be able to imitate godly principles, but you will be nothing more than those plastic fruit bowls on people's table that little kids try to eat. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, grapes, this is sweet. No, it's plastic, right? If you rely on me as your source, there will be no real authentic fruit. Why? Because I've been contaminated by sin too. I'm not a trustworthy source. TV preachers, are not trustworthy spiritual sources. Listen, Jesus is your source. Jesus. Trust in him. He is your source. John 1, 1 says this, in the beginning was the word, and I love this verse. I, I reference this verse all the time. In the beginning was the word, and in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles on here, everything is capitalized. That's the font that we're using, but in your Bibles, the W is capitalized. That means that it's just talking about Jesus, and so this is literally what it says. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, Jesus, and without Jesus was nothing, was not anything made that was made. Scripture in John 1 verse 1 points to Jesus as the source. 
This is a very important theological step that we have to agree on, that Jesus was not created, right? Just because Jesus was born as a baby in Bethlehem doesn't mean that that's when his life started. Jesus was in the beginning with God, amen? Jesus is your source. From the very beginning, Jesus has been your source. And that's important because Jesus is the source that has been untouched and undefiled. And when Jesus gave his life on the cross, what happened was we now have been given access, personal access, to a life-giving source. And he can be completely trusted. With Jesus, there's no fear of defilement or contamination. He is pure. He is spotless. He is perfect. He is life-giving. Jesus is the only source that can bring life. Number two, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. You can trust in Jesus, your sustainer. Trust in Jesus, your sustainer. We look back at Jeremiah 17, verse 8. It says, and he does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. I think this is a very important element that we can't overlook, and it's probably something that I mention too often as I preach. Scripture doesn't say that when we place our trust in God, it means that the heat will never come. It doesn't say that. When you place your trust in God, it doesn't mean that he's a cosmic air conditioner, making sure that at all times and in all things you are cool and comfortable. Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture over and over again makes it clear that heat will come, that problems will arise, that trouble will come, that life will have its fair share of pain, frustration, heartache, tears, and trials. But it does say when the heat comes, when it comes, because it will, that the man or the woman who placed his trust in God does not fear. And look at the imagery again. And, and he does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. Jesus doesn't always save you from the heat, but he will always sustain you in the heat. John chapter 1, verse 4 says, In him was life. He not only supplies, but he sustains. Jesus isn't there just at the beginning. Jesus isn't there just at salvation. Jesus is there at the beginning and every single day and every step of the way after that. Jesus is the source and he's the sustainer. He, he's there at the beginning. He's there in the middle. He's there keeping you and supplying you. There's a noticeable difference between a believer and an unbeliever when the heat, when the pain, the tragedy, the hurt, and the heartache come. There's a difference. Those who try to survive without the sustaining power and anointing of Jesus, those who place their trust in their own strength, resources, wealth, and ability will eventually shrivel up and fade away. It's absurd to me to think in the, in the market crashes and, and when all of those things happen, those, those men and women who are living lavish lifestyles and millions of dollars and billions of dollars are committing suicide because of market crashes. When tragedy comes, they don't have a source or a sustainer because there's no trust and hope in Jesus. But those who place their trust in Jesus will be sustained and their leaves in this imagery will remain green. There's a strange phenomenon that occurs when you hear stories of believers, men and women of God who have, who have faced adversity but kept their trust and their faith in Jesus. To see someone's life full of joy, green leaves, spiritual health in the midst of a dry and thirsty land. I read, a, I read a book a while back. I've, I've referenced it a couple times by Richard Wormbrandt, Tortured for Christ. And, and he experienced things that I would never, ever want to experience in my life. But there is a connection and a closeness to Jesus. There is a trust in Jesus that can be trusted that I am actually jealous of because of what he experienced and who he was through it. In his book, Life Without Limits, Nick Vujicic, he was a man born without arms or legs. You may know who he is. 
He tells of, an emotional and physical, of the emotional and physical difficulties that he dealt with in life. He talks about the hurt and the pain and the frustration that he's experienced along the way trying to survive without arms or legs. But with a contagious smile and a peace that runs deep, and you can see it, and a trust in God that is real, he speaks. He goes all around the world and he speaks. He goes into prisons and he speaks. He goes into schools and he speaks. And he tells about the life-giving love and the source and the sustaining power of Jesus Christ. He goes in there, he speaks about the greatness and the kindness of God. And in his book, he said, there's an odd thing that occurs almost every time. He says at every speaking engagement, he has people coming up to him saying, I'm envious of you. I wish I could have your life. A life without arms or legs? Why would anybody ever say that? Because there's something divinely appealing about a man or a woman who is supernaturally sustained by Jesus Christ in the most difficult of situations. If you've ever found yourself in a situation where you wondered, how am I going to get through this? Jesus is your answer. He's strong enough to sustain you, keep you, catch you, and pick you up. He's your source and he's your sustainer. Worship team, please come. Number three, the last thing we want to say is you can trust in Jesus, your supply. Jesus is your source, he's your sustainer, and he's your supply. Scripture says, and he is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Trees, plants, aren't supposed to bear fruit in the midst of a drought, right? It's not natural. It doesn't make sense. In the midst of a drought, everything shrivels up and dies. Scripture says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. He's like a bush in the desert. He's going to shrivel up in faith. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's not afraid when the heat comes. And in the drought, he will not cease to bear fruit. Because Jesus is our source, he doesn't need any help. And because Jesus is the source, he doesn't have to depend on anyone else to be our supply. And something happens when we begin to trust in Jesus. When we trust him as our source, our sustainer, and our supply, we don't really have to pursue discipleship. Because when we trust in Jesus, we become his disciples. We don't have to pursue relationship with Jesus when we trust him. Because when we begin to trust him, we, we, we become friends again with him. We, we rely on him. We become spiritually intimate with him because we trust him. We don't have to stir up faith when we trust in Jesus because He's trustworthy. We don't have to say, God, give me the faith to endure. God, give me faith to believe. When we realize who Jesus is, we realize that he can be trusted in all things, in all situations, in all circumstances. And we can tap in to that divine innocence and that divine, childlike faith where in every circumstance, in every situation, all we have to do is just jump because we know that Jesus is able to catch. He's trustworthy. In 1850, Louisa Steed was born. Shortly after that, she felt a calling to missions. The Holy Spirit had put on her life just a divine call to go into the mission field. At age 25, she got married. A year later, she gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, and they named her Lily. So Louisa and Lily and her husband, one day when Lily was about 10 years old, decided they were going to go have a family picnic. Going to go have a family picnic on the beach, watch the water and the ocean. While they were there eating and enjoying their picnic and dreaming of the great things that God was going to use them for on the mission field. They heard a cry for help out in the water, and 
Luis's husband looked up and they saw a young boy drowning out in the sea. He jumped up from his picnic and left Luisa and Lily there on the blanket and he ran out to save the boy. When he got there, the waters were rough and he did his best, but he couldn't save the boy. In fact, in the process, he ended up drowning as well. He left Luisa and Lily all alone and they were watching out in the sea as they watched this little boy and their father and husband drown. Their joy was turned to despair and the sadness filled their heart as the picnic had gone tragic in an instant. Over the years, shortly after that, Louisa was unable to maintain and support her daughter financially. They became broke and destitute and there's no way for them to sustain any amount of lifestyle. They had no food, no clothing. They were completely and utterly broke. But somehow, whenever Luisa and Lily were at their last or had nothing to eat, they would hear a knock at the door and some kind stranger would leave a basket full of food or they would bake a pie and they'd rest it on the door. They'd knock and run. For years, Luisa and Lily were sustained in this divine and miraculous way. Lily would go to bed full and Lisa would be reminded, Luisa would be reminded that Jesus is trustworthy. She saw this as the grace of God that provided for her in her time of trial and need. And through this, her faith and her trust in God grew stronger and stronger. Luisa remarried and gave her life as a missionary for years and years and years and her daughter Lily followed in her footsteps. It was in this time and in this season that she was thinking about and she was looking back that she began to trust in God and depend on Jesus like never before. And it was in this season that she wrote this poem. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise and to know, thus saith the Lord. How sweet it is to trust in Jesus when that's the only thing that you can do is trust in Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him over and over. And I've always read that and I've thought, you know, how can we prove Jesus? We can't prove Jesus. But what she's saying is, in this point in my life, I had nothing, and Jesus proved himself trustworthy here. And then Jesus proved himself trustworthy here. And then Jesus proved himself trustworthy here, and here, and here, and over, and over, and over, and over, and over, and over, and over again in my life, Jesus has proven that he can be trusted. is so sweet to trust in Jesus. There are many of you, because I've heard your stories, you have similar stories. You were broke. You, you had nothing to eat. You got a call. You got an envelope. Somebody left a basket of food on your step. You gave your last money as a tithe because you felt the Holy Spirit tell you that that's what he wanted to do and then God came in and supernaturally sustained and supplied. And you can sing this song and you can relate to this. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus. Man, when those divine things happen, when Jesus supernaturally sustains, it is so humbling and it is so sweet to trust in him. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood and in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing flood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. Stand your feet all across this place. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, why? 
because he's faithful, he's kind, and he's good. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus because he's proven it over and over and over and over and over. So can we take a minute here with every head bowed and every eye closed? Pastor Dan, go ahead and begin to sing that softly if you would. We take a minute to think of a time in your life where Jesus has proven himself faithful. Can we just go through the Rolodex of our memories and think of a time in your life that Jesus just proved himself? Do you remember how sweet that was? Today you may need Jesus as your source. You may be here and you've tried to do it all on your own, but it just isn't working for you. You were never created or intended to be your own source. So my question for you this morning is, will you place your trust in Jesus? It's a sweet place to live. Today you may need Jesus as your sustainer. Life is hard and the heat is bearing down on you. Maybe you're in a difficult situation. Things aren't easy and you don't know how you're going to make it through. You may be able to relate to Louisa's story. And I, I, it's just there's no way that this is going to happen. I don't know how we're going to make it. Will you place your trust in Jesus this morning? You may need Jesus as your supply this morning. Perhaps you have a very real physical need. Maybe there's something in your life that is lacking. Maybe it's food, resources, health, or relationship. Will you place your trust in Jesus this morning? Can we do this? We got a few minutes left here. If there's an area in your life, maybe it's as your source, your sustainer, your supply. If there's an area in your life that you're placing your trust in Jesus for, if there's something you're trusting in Jesus about, would you just step out from where you are and make your way down to this altar? And symbolically say, Jesus, I still trust you. Jesus, I'm still trusting you. What are you trusting Jesus for this morning? What are you trusting Jesus for this morning? It's so sweet to trust in Jesus. He's proven himself over and over and over again, and he's going to prove himself over and over and over again. He's your sustainer. He's your source. He's your strength. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus. Pastor Dan, go ahead and sing that again. If you're not down here praying, could you just lift your hands and sing this with us if you're comfortable? Just meditate on those words. Think about the power of those words. How much they must have meant to Louisa when she wrote them, but more than that, how much they mean to you and the life and the experiences that you've lived. Let's sing this together. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I prove Him or no. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. How sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood and in sin for faith to plunge me in. 
in cleansing flow. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I prove Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust It's so sweet to trust in Jesus Just from sin and self to cease Just from Jesus Simply taking life and rest And joy and peace Jesus, Jesus how I trust Him, how I proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Remind us of this, Lord. Remind us of how sweet it is to trust in you, how sweet it is to believe in you, how sweet it is to rely on you, how sweet it is to never doubt you. Stir that up in us, Lord Jesus. Stir that up in those who responded here by coming forward this morning. Stir it up in those in the, in the, that remain in their seats, Lord. Stir it up in the believers. Stir it up in the unbelievers, Lord, that are committing their life to you for the first time today. Jesus, let these words run deep and let these words shape us as we trust in you. And God, I pray that you would solidify that trust by being a healer this morning, by meeting needs, Lord, by being a loving father. I pray that you would solidify that trust by being a source and a supply and a sustainer. God, we trust you. Jesus, we believe in you. We don't doubt that. Sometimes we forget, Lord, but stir that up inside of us so that we can be the men and women that you've called us to be, fully dependent on you because you are trustworthy. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Watch over us and keep us. In your name we pray, amen. If you're still down here praying, you feel like the Holy Spirit's not done with you, stay. Jesus.